Luke 9, 18 to 27, this is Peter's confession of Christ. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned him not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Please leave your Bibles open there at Luke chapter 9. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would guide us now as we uh, reflect on who you are, what you have done, and our desperate need to live in the light of who you are, to reflect your mercy and your grace. Lord, we pray that you would challenge our hearts this morning, that you would be glorified, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Who do you believe Jesus is? C.S. Lewis, a writer that I'm sure that we're all very familiar with, once said these words, which were later written into his book, Mere Christianity, uh, while he was speaking on a radio program that aired on the BBC during World War II. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be a, the devil of hell. You, have, you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left us open to that. Who do you believe that Jesus is? A few weeks ago we looked at uh, Luke chapter 8 and as we looked at Luke chapter 8 as Jesus made his way to the other side of the lake he was met with the demon-possessed man 
And instantly the demons recognised that Jesus is God. They knew that he is the son of the most high God. Who do you believe Jesus is? Seems like quite an easy question to answer, doesn't it, on the surface? Many of us have grown up going to Sunday school. Many of us know the right words to say, like the back of our hands. We know to say, just as Peter said, that Jesus is the Christ. But this morning, Jesus is asking more of us than a mere profession of some key phrases that we've learnt from, as a child. Jesus is asking us all, all who believe to take up their cross and to daily follow him. We're being asked to die to ourselves. We're being asked to give up our comfortable lives, the ones that we desire to live for ourselves. And instead, to live a life of service to the one who willingly gave himself for us. If you truly do believe that Jesus is the Christ, then we are not just called to live a life of enjoying all of the wonderful blessings that he has to offer. We are also called to live a life of service, just as he first served us. The very famous evangelist, Billy Graham, once said these words. When Jesus said, pick up the cross, people were startled. They were amazed. What did he mean? A cross is an instrument of execution. It was like saying, pick up the gallows, pick up the electric chair and follow me. The gift of salvation is free. It was purchased by Christ's blood on the cross. But there is a cost to following Christ. There is a cost to living for him. This passage is one of those sort of uncomfortable passages that we don't want to look at too closely or for too long. Because the cross that we are being called to bear is usually the option that we would not choose for ourselves. It is heavy. It is uncomfortable. But it is the way of our Lord. Whoever would follow him, must first deny themselves, take up his or her cross and daily follow him. As this morning's passage begins, Jesus and his disciples were enjoying a very rare moment away from the crowds. Jesus was praying to God the Father and his disciples were nearby. When Jesus had finished praying, he asked the twelve, who do the crowds say that I am? We're not told which one of the disciples answered this question. I sort of think that maybe Jesus looked around at all twelve of them and they each gave a little bit of the picture. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that that one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. The crowds 
seem to have understood that there was something very special about Jesus. They recognised that he was sent by God. But even though they could see that there was something very special about him, they didn't understand that Jesus is the Christ. And so Jesus ratcheted up a little bit higher. He asked them, who do you say I am? In that moment, you can just imagine the disciples reflecting on how they were going to answer this question. They'd seen the religious leaders trying to argue with Jesus. He wasn't something, somebody that you answered without having thought about your answer. That is, unless you're Peter. Because Peter blurted out, Jesus is the Christ of God. It showed that he did understand. And what Jesus says next is really, really surprising to them all. First, he strictly warned them not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. That sounds really counterproductive, doesn't it? What Jesus seems to be doing here is telling them to keep it to themselves so that there isn't some sort of nationalistic, some sort of political uprising that will happen around him. If the crowds knew that Jesus was the Christ, then it was very likely that the crowds would have seen this as a great symbol that Israel would now have a wonderful national victory over their enemies. And it seems that the disciples may have even been starting to think this way themselves. Because it's in that moment that Jesus begins to tell them the most shocking news about his death and resurrection. Jesus is trying to reshape the way the disciples think about the coming kingdom of God. He is showing them that his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus told them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that after Jesus had said these words, Peter pulled him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What Jesus was saying to his disciples was radically different from anything that any other person in authority would have said. It didn't meet any of their expectations of the coming Christ. And then Jesus went on to say in verses 23 to 25, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? What Jesus is saying in these verses is that there is a cost to following him. That following Jesus, living for him, will put us at odds with this world. 
and sometimes even with our own desires. Jesus is saying that if we want to follow Christ, then we must follow his example by living sacrificially for him. We must deny ourselves. We must put his kingdom first. But what does it look like? What does this sacrifice look like for us in a world and a country where we are not, particularly in a country where we are not persecuted? What does it look like for us to deny ourselves? Well, the Apostle Paul is quite helpful here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he says these words. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. What Paul was saying when he wrote these words is that how we receive the good things in this life and how tightly we hold on to them is what makes them either beneficial or destructive to our faith. And so denying ourselves requires us to abstain from those things that are not helpful to our faith in the Lord and to instead put our walk with the Lord before those things. We all have things that we struggle to hold on to loosely, depending on our personality, our interests and the season of life that we are in. For some of us, it might be how we use our time and our energy. For others, it might be our focus on material possessions and resources. As we follow Jesus, we must be prepared to deny ourselves just as our master denied himself for us. If we want to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross daily and follow him. We must die to the life that we desire to live for ourselves, die to the short-term pleasures and comforts of this age, gaining wealth, comfort and pleasures cannot be the priority of those who follow Christ. Because if we're chasing those things, if we're spending our time, energy and money are working for those things, then we are not walking, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. The one who made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant the one who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. To serve Jesus is to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and follow him, to be willing to suffer and put aside our desires and prioritise his desires for us. Jesus continues in verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Following Jesus is not something that can be done in private. 
those who follow Jesus must be prepared to count the cost of being at odds with some of their family, some of their friends and even colleagues in order to follow the footsteps of our Lord and Master. Finally, in verse 27, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. When Jesus said these words, he was speaking directly to the twelve. Remember, it was Jesus and the twelve and no crowd around. Now, there are two very popular interpretations of these, this particular verse. The first is that some of those who were there would see the coming kingdom of God at the transfiguration, which is the very next thing that Luke tells us about in the next passage. The alternative interpretation, the one that I think is more plausible, is that this is referring to the day of Pentecost, where people from every tribe, tongue and nation in that region were united with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit as they heard the good news of Jesus proclaimed in their own language. The Christ had come, but the kingdom of God would not be what they expected. It would not be an earthly kingdom, one by swords, but a heavenly victory won by the sacrificial death of the Son of God. This morning's passage challenges those who follow Christ to consider the costs of walking in his footsteps, daily denying ourselves, taking up our cross And following Jesus is not an easy thing to do. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do you think I am? Peter almost instantly knew that Jesus is the Christ of God. But that same Peter would later deny Jesus three times. Denying ourselves. Taking up our cross and following Christ is not an easy thing to do. There will be times when following in his footsteps will require us to say no to things that we enjoy. We might find ourselves alienated from people that we love. Following in the footsteps of Jesus is costly. However, the reward far outweighs the cost. As Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? In this life, there is a constant barrage of voices that are speaking into our world, telling us how we ought to live, that we ought to live for our best life now, that we ought to live for ourselves. There's a constant pull in our own hearts to do that very thing. To seek security and comfort and short-term pleasures. 
This morning we are being reminded how meaningless those things will be on the day of Christ's return. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Those who deny themselves and take up their cross daily, those who follow in the footsteps of the Lord will find their life in him. We may and probably will go astray at times. We may find ourselves denying Christ rather than ourselves just like Peter at times. There is hope for Peter and there is hope for us too. The Gospel of John in chapter 21 tells us that Jesus forgave Peter for denying him three times. And he will forgive us too because the cross is not just a reminder of sacrifice, but it is ultimately a reminder of hope. Because he, because Jesus, willingly took up his cross for us, there is hope. As Colossians 1 says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moving from the hope held out in the gospel. So who do you believe Jesus is? If he is a lunatic who doesn't even know what he's talking about, if he is someone who's making ridiculous claims and asking ridiculous expectations, then eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we will die. But if he is Christ, the Son of God, the sacrificial lamb who gave him his life on the cross for us, then we need to seriously consider how we will respond to this uncomfortable passage. What does sacrificially living for Christ look like in your life, in my life? Christ has been paid. In Christ, we have forgiveness from sins. We have been set free from the guilt of the sin that we have committed. But who we believe Jesus is will define how we use this freedom. It will define those who, which kingdom we are serving, whether we are serving our own or his. Therefore, may we be among those who live in the light of the good news that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. And may we take up our cross daily. May we walk in the footsteps of our Saviour and Lord because of the hope that he established 
when he took up the cross for us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray in thanks for the hope that we have in you. That even though we, like Peter, do deny you at times, even though we, like Peter, lose our way, your mercy is new every day. The hope we have in you is sure. Lord, we all accept that it is hard to take up our cross when, and follow you when we so often want to just live our own lives our own way. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in the light of the hope that you have given us. To remember that you have purchased us by your blood. We pray that you would help us to use the freedom that you have given us, the freedom that you bought through the cross. Help us to use that freedom well. Help us to use that freedom for your glory and our eternal good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.